Good morning, Bethany. It's a real privilege to open God's Word with you all this morning and this evening. And for wherever you are in your homes, both near and far, I really pray that the Spirit of the Lord does fall heavily upon your household and with you today as we open God's Word together. Uh, let's pray together as, I, uh, as we reflect on what God is going to teach us through this passage in Micah and also in Luke and on the question of shalom as an act of justice. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that you would open your holy and powerful word to us today, wherever we are, in our homes, with family, as we sit alone or with others. We ask, Spirit, fall heavily upon us, call us to yourself, awaken justice in our hearts, minds, souls, and bodies, and may we be your hands and feet in all that we do and say. Bind us as your people together, Lord, near and far. Hear us, O God, as we cry out to you, as we call out for justice, and may we be the vessels that you pour your spirit into this day. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, our theme as we have been working together as a community over the past few weeks has been the question of what does it mean to be people of shalom? What does it mean for us to be God's people of peace, of rest, and reconciliation? And today we're going to look at the question of justice. What does justice have to say to us about peace, about rest, and about shalom? If you download the bulletin on your app or on the website, you'll see that the theme for today is this. And let me read this for you. It's kind of the centering conversation that we'll have today. In order to see and live into justice, Scripture points us to living lives of righteousness. That we, that, and that'll mean a costly turning of our lives to face and do the work of Jesus in our world. As Jesus shows us in Luke 4, this work of justice is a job description for all who wish to follow him into grace and truth. The Bible is filled with men and women who brought justice into situations of oppression. You can go back into our Old Testament passages with Deborah, this woman, prophet, and judge who administered justice to her people. You can go to the 8th century BC with prophets such as Micah who called Israel and Judah to act justly for the sake of the poor and the oppressed and continues on and on and on and on like a river that uh, Taylor shared with us as an image, this, this river that flows through time pouring out in the ministry of Jesus who not only declared reconciliation is central to everything he was about, but to know him was to also know his cross, which provided the perfect shape of life that is given over to justice in a broken world. Today, even in our streets, in our media, we hear over and over social justice activists reminding us, both within the church and outside of it, that the world is broken, that history has gotten off course, and that the arc of history itself bends towards justice if we would just hear it and see it. To heal this broken world is going to take sacrifice. And are we willing to be people of justice? Are we willing to sacrifice in order to follow the way of justice is the question. And nowhere is this more visibly seen than in the ministry of Jesus who walked into a healing, uh, to heal a broken world only to have those who dearly loved and cared for bend his life 
not as an arc of history towards justice, but bending it onto a cross. The powers of this world continue to try to subvert the call of justice, to bend it in a different direction than the arc of history. But Christ's ever open arms on the cross remind us of this. Justice is ultimately an open invitation where the arms of God are open to embrace us, to bring us healing and wholeness, and to release us into the world as agents of justice and healing for others. In the Old Testament, three words that frame this call to justice, and I want to kind of challenge you to think of this as a bullseye, something that you can really kind of point towards. And if you're in your homes right now and have a piece of paper, you can even write three concentric rings that I'll be building out here to kind of talk about what this target will look like. And I'll point to each of those in our bulletin in a minute. But throughout the Old Testament, there are three words that really shape what this call to justice looks like and how it moves. First of all, the call to justice, first, the work of righteousness, second, and the discipline to turn and face God fully in body, mind, and soul. Justice, righteousness, and turning. These three things come together so that we can see what justice looks like. Justice, this call to justice, mishpat in the Hebrew, occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament alone. And it's the goal for all followers of God that you should be aiming for every day. Keeping our eyes on the target of justice is hard in this world. It's challenging as we look through a glass darkly in our society today with the media storms that swirl around us and challenge us in the static of cynicism, despair, anger, fear, make it challenging to even hear what justice can look like. And this is why justice always requires the work of righteousness. Because righteousness is about keeping our souls attuned to care for the rhythms of our lives through prayer, fasting, solitude, worship, tithing, confession, forgiveness. If you are participating with Bethany through the global monastery, this is the call of these rhythms of grace to participate every day of righteousness so that we can see justice. If justice is the target, righteousness is the laser sight pointing us to that bullseye. Without righteousness, without a righteous life, justice becomes clouded and confusing. And then to turn and face God fully will always be the journey that justice will take us to. So let's talk about these three concentric rings. What is justice? How do we kind of see three parts of this bullseye? Well, in the very center, number one, is that justice, first and foremost, is a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, with one another in creation. That is the heartbeat of justice. A relational living into good relationships with God, with one another, and creation. And from a scriptural view, justice means loving our neighbor, loving ourselves, and the character and nature of God and the world we live in with good and loving care. Justice is less about what we do as opposed to who we prioritize as followers of Christ. Social justice becomes less about what we do and more about who we prioritize as followers of Christ. So often we get disagreements about the what in relation to social justice because it deals with contentious issues, things that are difficult to talk about around the family table like budgets, taxes, labor laws, social protection, safety nets, and other things. 
And these systemic questions are absolutely vital when it gets to issues of policy and budgets, no question. But remember that scripture calls us to start the work of justice with that call of who is my neighbor? Starting with what often enables our ideologies to constrict and flatten and oversimplify and confuse that question of the dynamics of a relationship of who. I probably saw this most clearly recently uh, through a friend of mine, a former student of mine at Seattle Pacific who went on to become a youth director. And he took his youth group uh, a couple of years ago to go visit John Perkins in Mendenhall, Mississippi. For those of you familiar with John Perkins, he is literally a living saint of reconciliation and social justice in our country. He is 91 years old and he hasn't really slowed down much in this time. Back in the early 60s, he had an awakening to civil rights when his brother was shot dead by a police officer. And as a black man in Mississippi, he wanted to flee that area and stop that work, but Christ called him to stay put and to do work in that. And for decades, he has been an activist for building communities around racial justice and reconciliation. He has served in task forces for five presidents. Now, this youth group was coming in to meet with this living saint of civil rights, somebody who cared deeply about building community and reconciliation. And one night as the youth group was meeting with Dr. Perkins and they were sitting in a living room together, the conversation came up about human sexuality, something that wasn't really on Dr. Perkins' target at that point, something that he had thought about and had conversations, but it wasn't as close to the bone as it was for some of these young people. Some of these kids who were sitting in the room were queer. One of them was trans. And as Dr. Perkins was talking to them and they brought up issues of reconciliation about sexuality, uh, Dr. Perkins said some things and made some statements that really hurt some of these young people. And there was a lot of disagreement and grumbling. And as I talked to my friend who was the youth director, he said it, it went south really fast. They couldn't hear who he was. They couldn't see the gift he was for generations to reconciliation because they didn't feel like he understood their presenting question of reconciliation and justice. So they went to bed rather hard-hearted and there was a lot of discord in the rooms with these young people. The next morning, Dr. Perkins came to visit them in the morning before breakfast. He walked in and he said, I was in prayer all night about our conversation and I ask your forgiveness. So this man of decades of service, a living saint who served presidents, put himself down on his knees, laid prostrate down on the ground, face down with his arms outstretched before them. And in a, just an absolute posture of humility said, I have a lot to learn from you. It could be easy to get into scripture wars about sexuality. It could be very easy to start parsing out the little fine points about where we agree and disagree on this point. But as my friend told me in that moment, those young people will never forget what justice really looks like. It taught, it's about laying down your life, literally. It's about having all of those decades of privilege of serving American presidents, of walking with civil rights leaders, of doing this hard work and still having something to learn from the next generation. What it means to have justice as a relational term, first and foremost, 
is to always remember that justice is about restoring dignity, human flourishing, sacredness of life. What mishpat justice is, is more than punishing the wrongdoer, but it brings life, wholeness, and flourishing to all of creation. What Dr. Perkins showed those young people in that one moment without words, but with his full body, was justice is a relational thing. Second, another ring around your bullseye, is that justice requires that we stay obedient to the gospel in all aspects of our life, even when it's hard. And that's why justice always points to shalom. Justice requires us to stay obedient to the gospel in all aspects of our life, even when it's hard. Justice for us goes down two paths in the Christian life, two paths in the Christian life. And I, I call them this. First of all, Emmaus justice. Emmaus justice is seen in Luke 24, where after Jesus's death and resurrection, there's people who are leaving Jerusalem who are walking on the Emmaus road and they're brokenhearted about the loss they've experienced in following Jesus. And this long and winding journey that they go on, they're met by this visitor who is Jesus, is the resurrected Lord, who begins to listen to them and, re- and instruct them to go back to the scriptures, to reread them, to, to rethink about what they've seen and to understand this crucifixion act and maybe in a whole new way. Emmaus justice is a long journey of study, discernment, prayer, and encounter. It's a quest for a deep understanding that leads to meaningful action. Now, there's another path of justice in the Bible, and that is Damascus justice, Damascus justice. And this happens with Paul in Acts 9, where in Damascus justice, there's a flash of divine insight and prophetic wisdom. That is an action that prior to his understanding, Paul, after his blinding encounter in Acts 6, hears, get up, enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. So Damascus justice is a flash of insight. It's action. It's getting out there and running to where you need to break down the walls of oppression and make change happen. Both paths of justice are in our scriptures, yet the temptation is to prioritize in our communities one over the other. Emmaus people in justice may see Damascus people as acting too quickly, not taking enough time to consider, not studying deeply enough before they get into the course of action. Damascus people, on the other hand, see Emmaus people as sitting on the fence too long, of not being decisive, of frankly not hearing the cries for justice and responding immediately. To stay obedient to the call of justice is going to require us to bring the Emmaus people and the Damascus people together in their ways of seeing what justice is through their various paths that are taking them to this place of justice. In our community, we need to listen to each other. The people who are quick to act, who are ready to march today, and those who are still on the journey who want to get there and are working hard. How do we bring those people together? And this is the third third part, is that in order to do justice, We need to make space for the Holy Spirit to give us a vision and a courage beyond ourselves so that we can rely on the Lord and not on our understanding as far as what justice and shalom should be. So let me quote John Perkins at this point on this point. He says this in his book, Dream With Me. I'm all for churches being part of nonviolent marches and protests that have happened in the wake of violent killings. 
But these protests happen only after a tragic event has taken place. I want the church to be what prevents these acts from ever happening. I want the church to be the community that is so dedicated to loving our neighbors, to caring for the poor and neglected, and to living out true reconciliation that these killings do not even take place. Not even take place. To do justice means that we have to be about creating kingdom space so the Holy Spirit can pour into us. And that means we have to give things up. We have to let things go. To give witness to what it means to live into this call for justice and by carving out spaces of justice, that means that we can make spaces for people to see the kingdom of God anew. Every time we use our voice and influence to call out injustice, whether it's human trafficking, economic exploitation, human rights abuses, infants dying needlessly from diseases and malnutrition, and others, we are also called to provide a foretaste of God's kingdom to come as well. As much as we are to tear down the walls of oppression, we're also called to dig deep wells to quench the thirst of those walking in a dry and weary land. So it's not merely about stopping injustice. It's also about offering justice as an alternative to the pain and suffering we see. A real dear friend of mine, somebody who challenged me on this point a lot, is a friend of mine named Terrence Lester. As a black man in Atlanta, he has lived his life watching racism and economic injustice segregating and dividing his city. But as a man of prayer, his passion for justice didn't fester into merely rage. He was called into a deeper place of humility and compassion for his city. In 2004, Terrence and his wife, Cecilia, felt called by God to gather two trash bags filled with clothes. And they walked through the streets of Atlanta one night to distribute them. They encountered a homeless woman as they were walking who asked, And they asked her, do you know anybody who needs clothes or shoes? And the lady responded, well, of course, I need some right now. And as this lady began to rummage through these two bags, she came across a pair of black shoes and started jumping up and down and said, I just prayed for a pair of shoes last night and God answered. Terrence and Cecilia looked at each other and in that moment, they realized that God was calling them to a journey. And that journey has become their ministry, Love Beyond Walls. I encourage you to Google Love Beyond Walls and take a look at their ministry. Since 2013, Love Beyond Walls has mobilized thousands of people to serve the vulnerable and the forgotten in cities, not just here in this country, but now around the world. To meet Terrence is to meet a father who loves his kids, who loves his city, he has, I mean, he is just an amazing guy of prayer. He has an, just a confectious laugh. He's brilliant and smart. And he loves Jesus with all his heart. Terrence is confronting systems of injustice and oppression by digging deep wells of grace, not just rage. His laughter, his compassion, his intelligence has changed people's lives on the streets of cities around this world. So to do justice is to carve a space for the Holy Spirit to give us courage for something beyond ourselves. So what does Jesus call us to in this way? Now, as Megan read for us in the fourth chapter of Luke's gospel, we see Jesus teaching in the synagogue of Nazareth, where he'd been raised and it was his hometown. As we hear rather bluntly, 
in the passage that it's really hard for prophets to speak in their hometown. It's hard to speak to your family about justice. It's hard to speak to your neighbors sometimes about justice. It's hard to talk to your coworkers about justice. It's hard to be that person in the room to bring up the difficult conversations. They even refer to Jesus as Joseph's son. They don't even identify him for who he is, but whose family he may be a part of. So in this gospel, Jesus becomes the appointed reader of the day in synagogue. And he picks a passage from the scroll of Isaiah in the 61st chapter. And while we have recorded in Luke only the first two verses, it's helpful to hear, think of the larger context. Isaiah 61 has been entitled the year of the Lord's favor as read in this passage. And some translations even points to assurance of Isaiah that God may has not forgotten God's people, that, that God is reminded. And, and this, this passage is very powerful to the Jews of the day. But as Jesus reads Isaiah 61 in that presence, all those who were listening would have surely known the power of the words in a new way. They had repeated these words for generation, but now this one standing up before them, reading them, is pointing to these passages and saying in the 21st verse that we read today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And this idea of fulfillment, Jesus takes into himself and embodies them in three powerful ways. If our work of justice is calling us to this relationship, to this powerful target of what justice is supposed to be, of righteousness and of turning and facing, now we get to face this God, to pock, to turn and face what Jesus is all about. So three things to take from this gospel text to help us laser sight into the bullseye of justice that Jesus tells us about. First is this, justice costs us something. Justice will always cost us something. The idiom to bear witness that's in this passage when he says that uh, when Jesus reads this is martain in the Greek. It means that as people heard this and bore witness to what Jesus was saying in the passage read for us, they were martyred by the words is what they heard. To speak of those who are martyred as to the faith are those whose lives are so changed by what they hear that they're literally brought to a point of death by it. They can never go back again. They can no longer be ignorant. And in this account that we heard from Luke, those hearing Jesus's words faced a reality that the Messiah was embodied in their presence, that they were martyred by what they heard, that the words were no longer words. They were embodied before them. And to walk away from that place was to deny their lives forevermore. It cut to the heart. It spoke deeply to them. And it was going to cost them their very lives. Justice is not a partial thing. It's a full embodied thing. And to deny this reality was to bring them to a point of death. Second, in addition to costing us something, justice is more than marveling. In addition to bearing witness in this passage to this deep reality Jesus was sharing, It is said that those who were listening were filled with wonder or filled with marveling. Uh, Thumazean in the Greek means to marvel or to kind of be taken aback by what they heard. To marvel or wonder when you hear about justice can take two paths here. And And this passage really shows us what those look like for those listening to Jesus's embodied call to justice. On the one hand, to marvel for some will be to hold back, whether due to cynicism or fear 
or getting our hopes too high. I want to step back and just look at it from a distance, but I'm kind of shaking my head or giving a side eye to what I'm hearing. In this case, there's a distance that some people are creating as they marvel at Jesus. They, their hesitancy, they're kind of pulling back and saying, I don't believe it. I don't really trust authority figures. I don't trust institutions. Institutions are broken. They're filled with bad people. Things will go south. I may try to trust in them, but where's it really going to lead me in the end? So this marveling comes out in things like, this one's one of Joseph's sons. You know, he's, he's, gonna, he's another one who's just giving us the story. Is that who you are maybe when you hear the call to justice? Does it begin with cynicism or fear or the idea that maybe I'm getting my hopes too high, so I'm gonna keep these people calling me at a distance? Now, another form of marveling that we hear in this is just to name and claim the truth, but we don't live into it. And this is something that white liberals have been accused of over and over again by my friends who, who call me out on questions of racial justice is that it, people will put up Instagram posts of clever quotes for Black History Month that we're in right now, or they'll talk about the books they've read to make sure that they name check that they are doing that work by buying the books and pushing these titles straight to the top of Amazon's list when people get shot in the streets. Or maybe they're checking in on seminars or doing webinars, and they're citing and making sure people know that they're doing the hard work of listening as one of my colleagues challenged me in a faculty meeting recently, it's one thing to be woke. It's an entirely different thing to walk in your wokeness. That is to say, reading and learning and listening are one thing. Doing something with it is gonna cost you for the sake of another. It's one thing to be woke. It's another thing to walk in your wokeness. To just claim that we have read the book that we know the phrase, that we've done this thing over here, then we want to get on with the rest of our lives is another form of marveling. It, it, it sets aside the call that Jesus is doing for our lives to say, I want you all in, not just your TikTok, not just your Instagram, but all of you. And third, if, Jesus, if justice costs us something, it's more than marveling, then justice is most clearly seen in embodied grace. What strikes the crowd in Luke 4 as, we're, as we read this passage with wonder and marveling is they heard Jesus' words of grace, logos tes caritas, that the word logos was flesh and grace in their midst. They didn't hear just words about God or speak of gracious qualities of humanity or even remark of how grace had happened in the past over generations. Hear what we heard was the presence of God's justice today, now, fully in our presence. Not yesterday, not have to wait to the future, but the work is today. The word and grace had come today. So there was no delay. There's no looking back. There's no, we have to spend time in the history lessons. There's no kind of dwelling on the past of how it didn't go right. There's no marveling about maybe this person, eh, I don't know if I really buy it. It's today a call to justice. The poet and the priest, the prophet and the prophecy, the message and the Messiah become one in the fullness of time, Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus is here. And what this means is the challenge of the words of grace in our midst today is this. It's time to get on board with justice. 
To find peace, to find shalom as a community, justice has to be at the part of it. So the question for us is Bethany, the question for you and your family and your friends is this, where is God calling you to step out into justice today? Maybe you are on that Damascus road where that blinding light has called you with no uncertain terms to act. Maybe you're on an Emmaus road that's a bit of a long and winding one and you need to kind of be in conversation with some other people about where that's taking you now and taking one more step on that journey. Let me come back to John Perkins and and share some words again from his book. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed that all believers past, present, and future may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's from John 17. Dr. Perkins says this, this was Jesus's prayer for us all. Yet more often than not, I fear that we have not lived up to it. Instead, we fight for our own way, our selfish desires for a right to be superior. We build churches centered on our own cultural ideas of God rather than on seeking to bring us back to him. And then we fight with other churches and religions about who is serving their personal cultural God the best. And Perkins then says this, come dream with me. Dream of a fight for something bigger, something more important and more worthwhile. We need to fight for justice and peace for the walls between us to come crashing down. And when Jesus read the scroll of Isaiah 61, he sat down because in his words, as he quoted and lived out the prophecy of Isaiah, he made it abundantly clear that all the tools we need to tear down the walls were sitting right in front of us. The Lord had come, Emmanuel, had walked the path for us, had shown us with his arms outstretched on the cross that the powers of sin are done. The chains of oppression have been broken, that the joy and hope that we want is not a fantasy, but is real if we would just live it out. And when Jesus sits down in that moment, he's looking at us to say, will you come with me? Or in in Dr. Perkins' word, will you come dream with me? Dream of a fight of something bigger, something more important or worthwhile. We need to fight for justice and peace, for walls between us to come crashing down. May God seal God's word in our hearts and may justice truly roll down. Amen.